We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound Unsights TV podcast. I'm Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Mr. Simon Howell. That's me. <laughs> How was your week, Simon? Tiring, and I was up till... I think 3.30 or 4 in the morning last night, finishing up this week's TV watching because I had all sorts of movie watching earlier in the week, so it was all sort of squashed here. It's been stressful. Fun. That sounds like uh, the ideal. And unfortunately, we'll we'll be talking about this a bit more this week, but it wasn't a great week for TV. So No, nah, it wasn't. Not a lot of fun things to you know sometimes you're up at two in the morning finishing an episode of something and it's you don't care because it's such a great you know episode but then some some weeks it just feels like homework yeah this week was a homework week yeah not not entirely but there's some good stuff too though but let's move to a cheerier topic we uh, had some comments from last week um so the first one was from ricky because i called ricky jesse last week for some reason <laughs> When I, I said that Jesse is reviewing Awkward, and Ricky, uh, his comment was, um, who's the Jesse guy, and what's he doing with my reviews? So Ricky is reviewing Awkward on the site for us, uh, not, not Jesse. We don't have a Jesse. If your name is Jesse and you would like to contribute, please email us, because then maybe I will retroactively sound like less than an idiot. So that would be fun. Um, then we had Michael Ryan wanted to know which amazing race team I, I hate now as there's been this habit of whatever team I'm hoping will get kicked off has gotten kicked off. So it would be nice if I'm going to say for now, my team to get picked off is it's Jeremy and Sandy, right? I believe so. Yes. Yes. I'm ready for them to go. So, and, uh, we'll talk about this when we get to amazing race. Cause you watched it this week. So that'll be fun. I did, yes. Yeah, I'll I'll just wait to expand on it till we get to it later this week. Now, Dan, uh, who is going to be on the DVD shelf with us today, talking Veronica Mars, which is a lot of fun. But he had a comment about talking about Firefly because, of course, that's the show we spot uh, we um, had on the DVD shelf last week. And he was saying his favorite episode is Out of Gas. I was surprised that we didn't get more feedback from people about Firefly. Well, maybe the Weed Knights are dying out, which maybe means I can, you know, go into that realm with a little bit less shame. <laughs> So it's really you need to just own it. I don't know what this shame thing is about. You need to move move, move past it. it. No, no, it would seem you are not. But we'll get there. You'll get there. Then Mario was uh, commenting about the Good Wife and um, that he's thinking maybe Carrie. Because we were saying we really are enjoying Madzukri, and he's saying maybe Carrie is doing like the the squint, smile, smirk thing too much. Um, I think he has a point because as soon as I read that, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's just so good at it. Anyway, we're gonna get to uh, to Good we'll Wife in in, good in about in about forty minutes or so, whenever that happens exactly. Then uh, Ken uh, Ken uh, is theorizing that Unforgettable may have a lady cop problem, which I thought was entertaining. And uh, 
based on my interest in watching it, which is none, I would say you're right on the money, Ken. That was uh, so thanks for that comment because that was that was a lot of fun. And then Keith we uh, posted that he heard that Prime Suspect got some more scripts. That, well, yeah, that was a while ago. This was a while ago. Unfortunately, this is not news, but. There is a bit of, I have a bit of a question mark as to what's going on with Prime Suspect. So when we get to that on the show during our week in TV, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, but we're happy it's not officially canceled, so that's something. Yeah, well, it's pretty much all but officially canceled. It's all but officially canceled. But anyways, um, then on Twitter, I heard from, I just want to mention this one because uh, I love his Twitter name. So I heard from a new listener, Carl. So thank you for joining us and the television listening and uh, responding and all of that, Carl. His, his Twitter name is My Vogon Poetry. <laughs> Cute. Which I just think is, I just think that's fantastic. So, and then he has different lists and one of them is Vogon Approved. So I don't know, I, I thought that was just a hell of a lot of fun. So Nice to welcome you to the the Twitterverse family, as it were, Carl. And then, um, let's see, on iTunes, we got another rating. We got another review. We did get a rating, yeah, from from Jerry. So thank Thank you, you, Jerry. And he, what I thought was interesting is, well, he likes all the Breaking Bad stuff, but uh, and and that we cover so many different shows, but he especially likes that we do include listener feedback. And to which I say, well, thank you very much. We're glad to hear from you. But why haven't we gotten any feedback from you, Jerry? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm, I think I think Jerry should send us an email or a comment or a tweet or something because I would love to hear what shows he likes besides Breaking Bad. So that and then of course Jean Pierre same thing from uh from last week. So uh thank you guys so much. It really helps us to to get these uh ratings and reviews on on iTunes. So please everybody keep it up. It's great. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. So So uh what's your article this week? My article this week. Well, of course last week I, I was late getting my article out. I said it was going to be out Wednesday. It didn't go up until late on Thursday or early Friday morning. But I looked at um, the schlubby guy, hot wife sitcom phenomenon, and I had told you there weren't going to be charts and graphs, and I and lied. There totally were. <laughs> there were charts. I like charts. I can't help it. I am a, de- uh, a total uh, dork slash math geek, and I, I own that. So maybe someone could... Uh, Learn from that, Learn. sir. Uh, I think it's I think it's fabulous. But so this week, uh, it actually, it was your suggestion, and thank you for it. I'm going to be doing just a sort of look at what I'm thankful for in TV this year, and uh, it was. I'm sort of sorry to admit that it was kind of hard coming up with a, a more than say you know six or seven things. So uh, I'm curious, what what are you most thankful for this year? I, you know what? In a, in, I'm actually thankful for the Adult Swim lineup, just because I, I'm specifically talking about as much as I love Venture Brothers and specifically talking about their 15 minute shows, just because in in a TV season that sort of you know had a lot of like lukewarm drama, it's just been great to have shows that are that are just a, a nice absurd break from everything else. Stuff like oh god, NTSF. SUV. Oh, I can't get the acronym <laughs> right. Uh, and Children's Hospital, Eagle Heart, the Hartgee Hauler, stuff like that. It's just been a, a a fairly consistent delight. You know, not not necessarily the best stuff on TV all the time. Although Children's Hospital is pretty excellent. That's that's what I've been thinking. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that's that stuff is around. Great, and I'm glad I asked you because I don't watch Adult Swim, so that won't be on my list. But it's nice to see it get some get some love from us here on the Televerse. That's fantastic. I do plan on catching up with Children's Hospital. Um, I think I don't know if I'll get to Eagle Heart. It I won't do... take you long. 
<laughs> I do keep hearing great things about Eagle Heart, but um, I feel like I should watch Archer before I watch Eagle Heart. So we'll see yeah, how it goes. Yeah, um, the, the other thing I want to mention before we get into our weekend TV is that, of course, we are continually expanding over at soundonsite.org. Uh, and in the TV section now, we have uh, Lewis and Clea are rev- uh, reviewing Revenge for us, uh, which is, of course, on ABC on Wednesdays. And they're doing kind of a cute thing with it where, uh, so they're kind of doing it as a conversation, um, sort of as an I am conversation back and forth and responding to each other. And I think it works really well for, for the series. So that that's pretty fun um and then of mm-hmm. course there's all these other shows i should note though that the show is not called revenge it's called revenge you need to say it well like there's that. no exclamation point but i do i think you're right though i think maybe there should be that that's good and it's, especially if you if you uh, picture emily van camp saying it like that <laughs> i think you're gonna have a much better time well and that's one of those shows that i i'm i'm glad that we're covering it because you know i can read the reviews because i feel bad for having dropped off i really like the pilot as listeners to our, our fall preview will or our pilot reviews will remember, but I haven't gotten back to it. So it's nice to see that it's still holding strong. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever quite got over the silliness of the title, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> and I know that's I know that's petty, but still, I just can't do it. I, I'll, I'll probably catch up with it at some point as well. Anyways, let's move into our week in TV. Uh, so as we were saying, not the most stellar week ever, but there's some good stuff going. So on Tuesday, um, I caught up with uh, New Girl, and I also watched that last week as well. Um, this was their Thanksgiving episode this week, and so it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and of course, for me, the standout continues to be Schmidt, uh, Max Greenfield, especially when he's put with uh, put with Cece. I think that that works really well. Justin Long guested as a love interest for Zoe Deschanel's character, and you know, I'm I'm currently in the throes of preparations for Thanksgiving myself. So today I'm going to make the stuffing. Yesterday I made the soup. So I could identify with uh, some of the, the things that were going on on this episode, particularly Schmidt's protectiveness over the kitchen. That's kind of how I am. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, pe- people should understand that Kate goes hard for Thanksgiving. Uh, and, it's the best. It's one of the best holidays. And it's uh, awesome. Speaking of going hard, I watched eleven episodes of Sons of Anarchy this week because that's the sort of person I am. Uh, <laughs> it's, and also because it's been fairly addictive this year, which is something that it wasn't last year. I didn't think the whole Ireland trip uh, got a little bit long in the tooth, and I ended up actually quitting. So I watched the season three finale to get caught up, which was perfectly appropriate to do, as it seemed like I hadn't missed anything. And um, came back and watched season four. It's been much more entertaining, albeit, I would say, slightly overplotted. Uh, you've got so many characters and so many plot lines going on. Uh, this week they had an extended length episode, which, and I'm not sure this was a good move, brought back Drea DiMatteo, who I don't remember if we've seen Drea for... Drea Oh, Drea DiMatteo, sorry. Um, <laughs> who I don't think we've seen for a couple of seasons, unless she popped up again in season three, which seems kind of unlikely. Uh, that just seems like one plot point. They That seems like a plot point extra, which I'm, I'm not too happy about. But other than that, it's been uh, very entertaining. It's still probably the most contrived of the sort of prestige dramas, but uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. The The, the new cast members are, are adding uh, a, a good, fun quotient. And uh, speaking of which, there are some new cast members, uh, specifically Rockman Dunbar is playing the new sheriff, and he's been fantastic. Ray McKinnon is, I love Ray McKinnon. He's great. 
I do think they're going out of their way to make that character more eccentric than he needs to be. But other than that, I'm really enjoying it right now. And I'm just really hoping they don't screw the pooch in the end because that's what they did in season two, which was an overall better season, just had a a terrible ending. Yeah, it's one that I've been hearing a lot of uh, mixed things about. So I'm glad that you liked it. And now is this one like where is this rank on the shows that I should catch up with? Uh, it's, I think it's fairly low just because so much of the show is flawed and also because I really don't know if it's going to stick the landing or not. And if it if it goes wrong in any of the ways it has in the past, I feel like I'll have trouble recommending it at all. But it has it really has turned into the FX All-Stars, the FX HBO All-Stars in terms of the cast. So, I mean, Kenny Johnson also uh, is on this and the last season. Um and even Ronnie from The Shield has shown up in a in a small role. Like it, it's getting ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think in terms of there's other stuff you need to get to first, like season two of Justified, <laughs> or season one of Justified. Oh right, yeah, um, you haven't done that yet either. Uh, but yeah. but uh, m- moving right along, you watched Modern Family and I didn't. Yes, Modern Family this week was uh, a bit better. Of course, I also watched it last week or a couple weeks ago when they had their Treehouse episode. But um, in this one, uh, the there were a couple good gags. And for once, I actually liked the Cam and Mitchell plot line more than some of the others, which is kind of surprising. But there was this, the best gag about it is uh, the fact that we find out that when he's on this particular medication, uh, it, that, it causes people to like sleepwalk or, or, you know, do other, you know, things while they're actually asleep. And what ha- what happens with Cam is that he sleep fizzbos. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's this hilarious shot of Mitchell just kind of like turning, rolling over and waking up. And then there's just Cam in full, full on fizzbo. And it was, it was just hilarious. Uh, and there, and then there's a nice tag with that as well. There was, um, a nice, uh, bit thing about Phil and Jay. Um, Jay accidentally tells Phil he loves him. And, uh, somehow it does not and, and i just enjoyed the fact that his the entire family when they found out just was like oh oh no oh no because they know the relationship um so that was funny but still it's just it's not anywhere near as consistent or overall as good as it has been in the past and that's what i'm having trouble getting past so i'm really not enjoying it as much as i even a good episode like this one i'm, I'm still not enjoying it as much as say suburgatory which we both watched what did you think of suburgatory this week i thought it was fine i I think there was a couple of aspects of the show that i think it called attention to that i was that i'm always slightly bothered by like i'm sorry but the fact that jane levy is 21 and she's turning 16 in this episode is a little glaring i'm sorry that girl does not look 16 let alone you know previously to that 15 Uh, i was also bothered by the crappiness of the band she likes i don't know if that was just me (laughs) And I know that they're, I guess they're supposed to be crappy, but it kind of feels like they went overboard on that. Uh, other than that, it was I- enjoyable, uh, you know, Al- making, I think, decent use of Alan Tudyk again. Uh, not enough Allie Grant, though. Again, I'm going to have to complain. I thought, I I love that the band that she likes is so crappy. And I, I also love that uh, making, uh, that, that, that they have an oboe and that's what makes them cool. Because that is something that I would say, <laughs> you know, really like they have an oboe or uh, pretty much anytime any band has a brass section, I'm far more likely to enjoy them. So I, I enjoyed that. I also, of course, thought Alan Trudeau was good in this. And I liked Anna Gasteyer as the mommy dearest kind of creepy uh, role that she got this week. I thought she did a good job with that. And that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Average shelf life. It does seem like, 
I don't know. It worked for me as just one of those bands that you look back and go, oh, why did I like them? Yeah. When you, when you, when you realize what age she's supposed to be, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, now, what did you think of Happy Endings this week? You know, I think I'm realizing that I do have one problem with Happy Endings, which is that occasionally, especially in terms of the acting, it can it can sort of trend towards the shticky a little more mm. than I would like. And I really feel like they kind of went overboard with that this week. I did laugh, and I, I think that they're still coming up with some of the bitter punchlines on TV. But I just feel like almost every single character makes a funny face every two minutes and it's i felt like it was on overload this week yeah i can see that um i like the episode i thought that the work uh, this is the episode where uh, brad and jane uh had their work husbands and work wives um and then uh, alex gets kissed by uh by max who is apparently an excellent kisser and so then she just has this bizarre crush on him um and so i and i thought it was I thought it was fun. The, the, the work husband, work wife thing I thought was, was only really okay, but I liked the tag at the end. And, but for me, the part I enjoyed more was getting to see Alicia Cuthbert get to just be goofy and silly. Yeah, Cause yeah. as previously stated on the other things that she's been in, she hasn't really gotten a chance to be funny. So I enjoyed her in that, but yeah, the penny thing got old for me. Yeah. I, I, I have to say that the thing I laughed at hardest were the closing seconds of the episode wherein she gets deprogrammed. Uh, that, that, that was excellent, I, mu I must say. Uh, after that, of course, I watched South Park, which finally, which closed out its... I'm not even, I'm I'm even going to tell you which season it is. I totally... It's their 17th season? 16th season? I don't know. It's gone on a ridiculous amount of time. But um, it was their finale this week, which was pass passable. I mean, they've had some really great episodes this year. I mean, in terms of you're getting, uh, you're getting old and... Uh, the episode that followed, and I, I and and some divisive episodes as well, like uh, like the royal pudding episode, <laughs> um, which I think we both enjoyed. Uh, but I think they were sort of content to just sort of go out with an uh, with an average episode. It brings back Kenny's superhero to no particular effect. One thing that is interesting, and I you you always wonder if South Park is going to go with serialized elements or not is that at the very end of the episode, they kill Kenny. Again? Well, which is, yeah. Yeah, which they haven't done in a really long... And it happens in a... And actually, it happens in a slightly clever way that I was slightly impressed with. Um, but other than that, it, it was a very not particularly noteworthy episode. Um, I think a little better was Top Chef, which actually started uh, <laughs> yeah. last week. Or it's actually, sorry, this week. Uh, this was the first real week that top chef was on rather than just being top chef texas auditions mm -hmm. uh so that was nice to see um i don't know what did you what did you think we we uh we we lost our big teddy bear character already which i'm a little bit sad about although he did screw up royally yeah i would have picked him based on the previous two weeks i would have picked him to go pretty far uh, and maybe that's just the you know getting blinded by the james beard name getting thrown around but uh yeah he, damn! You don't take you don't get pre cooked shrimp at the store. That's just that's just basics. But then again, you also don't let somebody buy pre cooked shrimp for your team either. So, um, I wasn't that impressed with the chefs overall. Um, normally there's a few that immediately seem competent and interesting and and 
and fun to watch. And I don't have that yet this season. Um, I do think that the multiple judges thing is going to be fine though, because if it continues like this week, they, they had, um, what they had, they have just four. They didn't have Emerlon this week. They had Hugh on, but I would imagine in the future they'll have Emerlon and not Hugh. And so it seems like they're going to keep the same number of judges just instead of having a, a random guest judge every week. It, there will just be a few people who will switch out. So I thought that that, seems like it should work and we should i should mention that this is the the episode where with the quinceanera um what did yeah, you think which, all that stuff was adorable by the way mm-hmm. I, I thought the 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 girl was great and i really liked all the all the scenes with tom and padma sort of conferring with the birthday girl about what was good and what wasn't was great and they and they, they really did it in a very non-condescending way which was nice to see i have to say that beverly kind of pissed me off when she got mouthy with the grocery store employees for no particularly good reason. But then she kind of, but anyhow, I used to work at a grocery store. So that, that hit close to my heart, but she did, she was redeemed for me later when she was like bawling at the quinceanera. So, so I, so I guess nobody, nobody really pissed me off that royally yet. Yeah, I enjoyed that there were, normally with these things, all of the cuts to the audience, I mean, the people who are in attendance who are tasting the food, they're there, they want everything to be good, and so they tend to to not really have that much criticism. I enjoyed that there were a couple things where they were like, no, no, this, this isn't, it just, like, with the mole, it's like, it's, it's cinnamon chicken, not mole chicken, so. Yeah, I felt like I could have made that, I, I felt like I could have made that chicken. Well, and once you've had uh, the mole from, you know, from Frontera Grill, then you just, you know, Rick Bayless's mole, you don't really want to even just see other people have bad mole because it's just that delicious when it's done right. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so I think we're pretty much on the same page. What we're not on the same page with, though, is community. And I want, to, I'm curious. So what did you seem to have a strong opinion about this episode? Well, sort of. I mean, I'm just in a weird place with community right now because it's just, it's, I feel like it's just missing me. Like it, it didn't help that I was in a foul mood when I was watching it already for unrelated reasons, but I, 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 I hate to kick a show when it's down because community is, you know, it's, it's had, it's been reshuffled and there's, it's in danger of being canceled. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but you know, the, all the fans are out this week, you know, you know, kicking up the save community campaign and that's great. I'm glad people are passionate about the show. It's just lately, I'm just not finding it funny and its brand of cleverness is just not doing it for me. And I just real, really feel like it's squandering opportunities to be funny. I don't need to get into specifics. The point is, I feel like, again, the clever is getting in the way of the funny for me, personally. We should say, for in case people don't remember which one, episode is which, this is the one where the Dean uh, directs a commercial for the, for the show, for the the college, um, like a recruitment kind of a uh, couple minute long video and gets Luis Guzman and then just goes into his own world with it. Um, a la, uh, hearts of darkness. So, um, I, I thought it was a bit self-indulgent. Um, I can see, you know, like I, I, I thought that I liked the concept of it and I did enjoy the episode. There were, I felt like there was a few points where I would absolutely agree that it just, they lost the funny in search of what they were going for. Um, but I thought it was great to see Jim Rash get to do something different. And d- the guy is ripped. So, you know, apparently he spent a lot of time <laughs> at the gym. So nice to, you know, chance for him to actually show it off. Good for him. Um, and it was nice to get him not play, to watch him not play the Dean, really. 
but you didn't feel like it was just a, a really transparent attempt to make that character sympathetic since he's a regular now? No. No, that's how it felt to me. He I don't didn't, know. We didn't seem sympathetic to me. That's the thing. I don't, you no, know. Not, not even when he was losing his mind? No, because he's oh, crazy. Well <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's what it, the difference, because I didn't, I didn't see, feel like I saw those strings uh, no, in the background. Enough. But um, we got to see some nice stuff from Joel McHale, too. I thought he was having fun with it. Um, I thought that they were focusing on Britta and Troy a bit much. Uh, I mean, I feel like they could have made that point once and not kept going back to it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, well, and they just keep hitting the same note with those characters in general, with, with, with where it's like, oh, they're sort of attracted to each other, and that's just sort of where the characters have been for four or five weeks. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Do something with it. Now, there's only one more. You were considering, I know, uh, dropping the show just because you feel like you didn't have that much, you know, new to say about it, but there's only one episode left uh, yeah, for yeah, a yeah. while, so... I just feel bad about kicking a show when it's in a position like this. I don't... I'm not... I don't all, I'm not always a contrarian. For instance, <laughs> I really enjoy Parks and Rec, which I think everyone is in general agreement about. Now, what did you think about them sort of uh re sort of recapitulating on the Adam Scott Amy Poehler situation at the end of the episode here? I thought that it really worked and the, I like that they're I think it made sense for them to get back together and I like that they're using this to grow Leslie as a character to change her and really uh investigate both of these characters and and get a chance to see them how they change and develop and grow. So that's why I'm I'm cool with it and I think that it will be funny and I think that it'll work. If they had just decided that they were going to stay together and just, you know, screw whatever happens at the end of last season. I don't know that I would have, it would have felt more false to me. I like that they spent the time trying to be broken up and being miserable. So, um, yeah, the, the biggest problem I had with this episode was that that's not how much community college costs. Community college doesn't cost a thousand dollars for one class. Uh, so that, you know, seemed kind of strange. Apparently, actually, the XKCD did this um, this great thing this week. Now, that's a webcomic for those who aren't aware of it. And on it, they have the average cost for tuition for um, for a, a degree at community college is, is uh, I think it's $10,000. So 2000 like, it's something about like 2000 something a semester for a full load. So one class, there's no possible way it's going to cost $1,000. So then that whole arc... Felt incredibly false to me, but I did the, like the things you get hung up on. <laughs> I yeah yeah I suppose, um, but I did really like the. I felt like they could have come up with a less stretching sort of way to to get to where they wanted to go with Ron and Andy, but I did enjoy watching them. You know, all sitting in the class. This was another episode of, of comedy this week where I think the biggest laughs came in the last few seconds, with Andy sort of making a series of declarative statements, which he was pretty sure were false. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. And I'm sure that was, and I'm sure that was all ad-libbed by uh, Chris Pratt, who is said to be the best improviser on the show. <laughs> well, I also liked his secret rock star thing in guitar 101. Um, mm-hmm. When I was in undergrad, I they made me take beginning piano, even though I had studied it for 12 years. And that's pretty much how I felt. So uh, I, I could identify with that strongly. <laughs> Uh, speaking of comedies we enjoy, we also had Always Sunny this week, 
And I think what I really enjoyed about Sunny, I mean, I always enjoy Sunny. It's very rare that I they do an episode that doesn't make me laugh out loud at least once. Was that we really got a good dose of Dennis's insanity and vanity this week, which is one of my favorite notes for them to come back to. Although also worth mentioning, we were thinking maybe they would wait until the end of the season to address the the uh, Big Mac situation, but uh, they they did it this week. I think it was they did it in a satisfactory way. I don't think they quite knocked it out of the park, but I think it was solid. I th- I don't know. I thought that was kind of the. I think the episode overall was was. Good, not great. Not their best this season, but still consistently funny. But I thought that the reasoning that they give for why and how Matt got fat was hilarious. That basically he just, he did it to himself because he's an idiot. And, uh, yeah, surprise. <laughs> I thought that that was perfect. Like that it was a conscious choice that he was gained this, he, that he would gain this weight again because then, he's a and- dumbass. Yeah, and then the the gap between how he perceives himself and and looking at the bodybuilder. Yeah, that that was all uh, perfectly appropriate. Uh, but yeah, I guess we we now that that's done with, I'm curious to see how they're going to try to get him out of it, and if heroin will be involved. Well, and then also I like that uh, this is the first time I think we've seen Charlie. Like Charlie's the competent, hardworking one. I I thought that was hilarious. Well, not always competent, but yeah. definitely hardworking. Um, what did you think of Beavis and Butthead this week? And weirdly, uh, Beavis and Butthead this week was also themed around uh, getting fat. Yeah, it, it didn't do much for me this week. Again, it was sort of, you know, two segments based around a single joke. Uh, you know, in the first half, they get fat. In the second half, they take bathroom breaks. Really, that is both a summary of the episode's content and its jokes. Uh, so, yeah, not not doing much for me lately, as much as the video parody. I mean, really... I, I I would just be happy if it was 22 minutes of them making fun of reality television, as I think I've said before. Um, Better was a show that I almost didn't watch out of depression this week because <laughs> I'm, we're, all, we're about 99.5% sure that it's shit-canned, um, mm. is uh, Prime Suspect, which was really good this week. And I, I know there was some debate over whether or not this, this was a particularly good episode, but I, th- I thought it was uh, fine. I, I did think it, it was a little bit saccharine at moments, especially in terms of the soundtracking. You know, a little twinkly piano here and there to, to let us know that they really do care about the kid who gets shot, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but I, I think what's what was really great about it was, you know, he, by the way, Walking Dead, here's how you make us... Here's how to generate suspense in scenes where characters we know aren't going to die, you know, are seemingly in danger. I thought it was just a you know, sort of like a small TV masterclass in directing and lighting and editing in terms of the sequences, especially in the uh, sort of shootout outside and and the scenes in in the basement, the sort of hospital basement, where I thought were all great. Yeah, it was very it was very well done, and I think one of the best episodes this week by quite a stretch. Um, the I, I you've already mentioned the the part of the plot with Maria Bello and and uh, and with with Bello and O'Byrne. But um, I also really enjoyed watching the other cops, you know, still in New York. I, I really enjoyed Maybe. Um, I feel like that was a, a fun little sequence. And, yeah. And I was – so I, I enjoyed the dynamic there. I enjoyed the, um, you know, discussion of who's the guy who has the stuff 
amongst the group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm was the guy good. who's got the stuff. You're not the guy. Doesn't matter yeah, what the stuff I, is. <laughs> and I and I like that they're goofballs, but they're still competent. Yeah, which is something that I think they struggled with early on. Yeah, um, but th- you're right. The meat of the episode is in in watching, you know, our our main guys uh, who are, are protecting or a witness uh, who, to a crime. And I thought that it was just very well handled. What because of course Jane Timoney is not she doesn't like little people as she calls them. And so I thought that they did a good <laughs> job of uh, of of making me believe her connection to this particular. Uh, girl and um just even just from that sequence of them in the pool i just i thought it was very very well handled and it was nice to get to see uh bello and o'burn do more than be bitchy at each other in their scenes together yeah and i and i love brian f o'burn i think he's he's great and i i'm sure he'll land somewhere and i hope i hope they'll they'll both land somewhere useful after this is over uh far too soon Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention about that is that while it would appear, I thought that this was going to be the last episode, but then at the end of the episode, they said new prime suspect in two weeks. And it, on my DVR, it says that there's a new episode in two weeks, though it doesn't have a plot synopsis. So I'm kind of I have a question mark about that. Do you know what's going on with that? I don't. Uh, keep your fingers crossed, I guess is all I have to say about that. Yeah. Now, you had uh, not one, but two supernatural procedurals uh, of a sort on Friday. How did those go? Um, well, I, I, my review for Supernatural is up at the website. Um, I thought it was a solid episode until the, the end of the episode. We got to spend more time with Jim Beaver, which is always a good thing. There are some recurring gags from earlier seasons and episodes, which were which were nice. And we got to see Dean just completely blissed out on this turducken sandwich. Because um, he's a very, as I mentioned in my review, he's a very physical character. He takes, He makes sure to stop and take pleasure in the simple elements of life because um, their life is so complicated that he's one of those people that can just enjoy a sandwich or as they would say on the, the nerdist he enjoys his burrito he knows that he does not have very much time with that burrito and he enjoys it um, but then they did this thing at the end where they shot uh, the, they shot Bobby so they shot um, Jim Beaver's character or the, no. the bad guys did but the thing is he figures out their evil scheme we see him figuring out their evil scheme. And so then, as soon as that happens, you're like, well, it's uh, not that far into the season, so he can't tell them. So something has to happen to stop him from telling them. And they're not going to kill him because they don't have anybody else on the show that they can possibly replace him with as somebody who knows these two main characters because they've killed everybody else. So he's got to be injured or somehow removed from the equation without killing him. And then... It's just a matter of watching it, you know, it's it's really, it's one of those things where when when you watch a show, do something that you know they're going to have to undo. And so yeah. it just feels like a waste of your time and and you're hoping that they will surprise you and in some way twist it or not do it. And then they do. So I really didn't like the ending, but um, I don't know. Do you, Does this come up for you very frequently when you're watching shows? Uh, yeah, it does. And I, I just, I'm, to that, I, to what you've just said, I only have to say, I don't watch Supernatural, or at least I don't yet, but if they kill Jim Beaver, I will be pissed, because I love that man. <laughs> well, and it's just, the show doesn't work when it's just the two brothers. There needs to be somebody, and it never has, really. It it can be okay, procedural, you know, freak of the week, just fine with when, when there only are the main two brothers, but 
the only time the show really succeeds and it becomes more than that is when there is another character in the dynamic. And so all the other people it could be are dead. So they can't kill him because the show wouldn't work. And the writers are smart enough to know that. So that's why it feels so false. Um, now, there was also Grimm on Friday, which we we have a you know, review of that up at the website as well. Um, and this one had, it was based on Bluebeard was, was the myth. And it was nice to see Patrick Fischler on as the guest star. I like on this show and in this episode particularly, how strongly they stress that these guys that uh, the main character ends up hunting down are not the norm. They're not normal. They're usually like Bluebeard's, you know, the the Monroe, the the big bad wolf character, um, stresses that they they get a bum rap. Normally, they're not that big of a problem. It's just this one happens to be psycho, and kidnapping women and keeping them in cages. Um, so. The, there are some interesting developments in the serial arc. The standalone was pretty um, element was pretty good. Um, it's still not great. I don't know. It, it hasn't um, overcome some of its limitations, at least as demonstrated thus far, of its actors. Um, but it's promising, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we <laughs> here's the thing with Fringe this week. I thought I watched Fringe. And then when I sat down to record today, I realized that I only watched the first 10 minutes. And then I think what kept me from coming back to finish it was just the lukewarmness of both your review and the comments on the review. So just I think some, some something in my subconscious just said, don't bother. So Fringe, what was wrong with it? So I liked the first part of this episode of Fringe. My problem with it is that about halfway through, Olivia turned into an idiot. And she is someone who's always been very good at her job, a good FBI agent, smart and intelligent and then at the halfway point she just becomes a moron she she is in a they're, they're hunting down this person who is can be invisible and she decides to break off from her group with the scent seeking dogs to go by herself in this in this hotel where they know that the person is i wonder if that's to be make it convenient for her to come into this to run into this person by herself and be put into harm's way it just it's incredibly false it's not true to the character it's not true to the series and it just had me it completely took me out of the episode and there are several things that she does from that point on that are not in any way in keeping with her character and only exist so that the plot as written can happen and that always pisses me off. And so I, I, there were some interesting developments this week as far as, you know, Olivia and Lincoln and that dynamic and with Nina as well. It's just, it was too much plot contrivance at the expense of character. And that was our fall finale, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next episode written by David Fury, of course, of Buffy and, and Lost Fame. But, um... But yeah, that's it for for now, at least until January. Now, you watched The Amazing Race for the first time on Sunday. What did you think? I did. I think this is probably the first time I've seen The Amazing Race in like five years, if not longer. Um, Is it often that they do this sort of bifurcation thing where where it ends, but it doesn't really because it's actually just to be continued? This is the first time this season. Um, Okay. They usually do it a couple times in a season to, to make there be more weeks. I would imagine it has more less to do with the show uh, being on TV and more to do with when it's convenient for them to, you know, if there's not a plane out for the next for the next day, you know, sort of a thing. Right. It, it did make the not just because of the ending, but I did feel like the pacing of the episode was slightly sluggish in terms of editing 
in terms of watch. I, I mean, I know that the show's repetitive by nature, but I did feel like they could have been a little bit tighter in terms of getting through, specifically the uh, the the sort of spinning cup puzzle mm-hmm. challenge. Um, but I, you know, I, there's nobody I hate yet, which is interesting because uh, mm-hmm. I know that you're 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 looking for someone to hate. Um, I mean, the the older couple is pretty adorable, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I like the grandparents. I now I wish they wouldn't do this. They don't tell us who gets eliminated or if anyone gets eliminated. We just see that the first people to come in are Armani and Marcus, but we don't see who comes in last. And that's fine and all, except that in the promo for next week, we see all of the teams except for one. So if you can use some basic logic, you know who gets eliminated. And I was very disappointed in that because I wanted that team to not go. And I won't say more in case somebody hasn't figured it out, but... um. I don't know. I enjoyed this episode. I liked the, I thought the spinning teacup thing was fun. I thought that it was hilarious that only two of the teams figured out that maybe you shouldn't dump the Legos out before the teacup ride starts. Yeah. Centrifugal force. Um, uh, but, uh, and then of course I enjoyed the bodybuilding challenge. I thought that was kind of hilarious. Um, but yeah. And you seem to have a thing for ripped people. So I guess that was also, (laughs) I thought it was, uh, fun to watch them try to get into it and then to just why it's always fun i like i always say it's always fun to watch the people who are experts at these various um tasks just sort of roll their eyes at the newbies who are trying it and i thought that was again fun this week oh and the poetry judge was super creepy <laughs> in like an uh, unintentional way oh i thought uh, it, it was pretty funny <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we also watched The Walking Dead, which, by the way, The Walking Dead podcast is going up a little late, but it should be up uh, by the time this is up, hopefully. Anyway, uh, we, we there's a fierce argument over on The Walking Dead podcast, which I won't spoil. Uh, it's so, fun, though. It's going to be fun. Yeah, do listen for that. Um, so The Good Wife, which is sort of, which, you know, sort of goes in and out of, of spotlight for us. Uh, it, it was interesting to see them go back to the military court well so quickly after you know the their standout episode from a couple weeks ago this was not as good as that episode but it was i think still pretty solid yeah i my only problem with the military case is that i don't understand what the point of it was we didn't get any new information about the case after we after it started we didn't find anything out, out. they didn't do anything really to, to find stuff. There wasn't what more they could do. It just sort of seemed like a lot of filler. And there didn't seem to even be that much of a thematic parallel other than perhaps the notion of um, jumping, like overreacting and hurting innocent civilians, which I would assume would tie into Jackie's conversation with, with uh, Alicia that she's hurting her children based on her decisions right now. I mean... That that was my biggest problem. It was enjoyable filler, but it seemed like a lot of filler. What did you think of that as well as the cheese? Well, first, uh, the, the cheese stuff was a, was a little bit silly, but, I mean, Amy Sedaris is great to see. That scene with uh, with Jackie must have made you very happy, wherein she, <laughs> wherein she tells her off and basically tells her to F off and let me raise my kids. Uh, I know that you've been waiting for that scene for a while. And I love that the, the daughter's like, ah, oh, such a bitch. Because that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> um, I do think that the whole love triangle between, or whatever you want to call it, between Kalinda and Carrie and what's her name? Ugh. Which, uh, is like, come, two of you people are pushing 40. Like, this seems a little bit 
college or even high school to me. Like, maybe maybe you should all be adults about this. <laughs> well, I and know. I can't figure out what they're trying to do with it. It just, I don't know. It it just didn't. It didn't seem natural. It seemed very forced and strange. And yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't get it. It I just seems like they're working. going for they're going for edgy points, which I, I understand because they like they they're trying to attract younger viewers to that show specifically. But uh, I I did think it was a good episode for lols though. I think there were a lot of quality lols. What did you think of the military? What? Yeah, where do you think? What did you think about the military case? What was the point of it? Is what did I miss? Uh, I I I think you're correct. I think the the there was really no arc to that case. It was all very flat, which is. You know, which honestly, the case went like it probably would have on another legal procedural that's less interesting. It felt like we were missing some of those twists and turns that that Good Wife can do in a non sort of ridiculous way. So, yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you. I don't think you're missing anything. I think it was just like a weirdly flat case. The only other thing I had about this episode was that uh, I enjoyed their attempts to, to change the food diagram. Um, and I, I, you know, I understand they had to try to come up with something different, but that body thing they had was terrible. A whole yes. arm for sweets. Come on. Come <laughs> hey, on. you gotta keep, you gotta keep big sugar happy. So it would seem, speaking of keeping, uh, big sugar happy, we had a rather saccharine episode of How I Met Your Mother, I would say. What did you think yeah, this week? Well, you know, I, you warned me ahead of time that this was like you, I, th- I think you you actively disliked this episode to some degree. Yes, but it was fine for the most part. I mean, the I, I liked the visual gag of the of the shrinking apartment. I thought that was really well executed, and um, and that that is something that you feel when you when you're especially if you're me and you go home uh, to see to see the folks, and then come back to your city apartment and it's yeah not as roomy as you remembered. Um, so that that rang true, and they usually they're they're good at finding like little hooks that that feel correct i think you're right that the rest of the episode was was very saccharine you know there were some cute slash funny moments between ted and barney but you know you you knew you knew it wasn't coming to anything so yeah i I can see how that was a a, a time waster the kicker at the end i had to see i had to say i should have seen coming but didn't don't know how i feel about that I'm, i'm a little bit tetchy with tv pregnancy um, as you know, but uh, so why did you hate the episode so much? Um, for a few simple reasons, it wasn't funny. Other than I did enjoy the 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 shrinking apartment, I thought that worked. Um, but really, Robin knocks over three lamps. It wasn't funny yeah, the first that was, time. Yeah, that was too. And much. then it wasn't funny the second time, and then it wasn't funny the third time. And the whole everything with Barney and Ted felt incredibly forced. It. And just like somebody trying really hard to make a concept work, it just felt incredibly sitcommy and not true to the characters. And they spent so much time saying, "Forgive us, we were really pathetic at the time." You know what? I don't want to watch you guys be pathetic. And if you're going to be pathetic, the least you can do is be pathetic and funny, as opposed to pathetic and making me sit there and roll my eyes. I would have loved to have stopped this about five minutes in, but we were going to talk about it here, so I didn't. Um, and as for the kicker at the end, seriously, because uh, <laughs> they want us to think the, the the thing for me is that Robin is smarter and enough of an independent woman that she would be on the pill. Also, if she wasn't on the pill, she would be using 
she would be using uh, birth control of various forms. And uh, yes, that can some sometimes, especially on TV shows, not work, even though you did, quote, everything right. But even more than me having a problem with her being mysteriously pregnant is the fact that I'm pretty sure they want us to, th they're going to have Barney be the dad. And that just doesn't make sense when she's been with Kevin and one would assume they have had sex uh, for much longer and more frequently than her one night with Barney. Well, let, let's not, let's not judge the show on where it hasn't gone yet. Let's, let's, let's give it a chance to, because I think that, I don't know, I think you're correct about the, the sexual statistics, um, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm just not crazy about that as a plot point. We're going to be following for episodes to come. Yeah. In general. No, I'm not interested in it at all. Doesn't Robin is always someone who's said so strongly that she doesn't want kids that I don't see her having that be a mistake. Yeah. Anyways, let's let's move on to our spotlight. We have. Uh, uh, another wonderful episode of Homeland this week, and so we're going to take a break now. We're going to listen to a clip and come back and talk about that. Air and naval forces of the United States launched a series of strikes against terrorists for selling shoes. Run out 103 crashed into the town of Lockerbie. The sanctioned acts of terror in Africa and Europe. This will not stand this aggression against the Kuwait. relentless pursuit make no distinction. The USS Cole Anything. was attacked while refueling in the port of... This was an act of terrorism. Terrorists it was a despicable and cowardly act. Those the next time we're going to play for you, you wanted a good old thing. Until something stops him. I I'm just making sure we don't get hit again. We're back. That was part of the intro to Homeland, and almost every time we review Homeland, we talk about how we hate their intro, so I figured for those people who have not caught it yet, we would give them a little idea of what we're talking about, because as much as I do really enjoy the show, I wish they would use some music so that we could, you know, put it on, on the podcast here, but um, anyways, enough of that. What did you think of of this week's twisty, shall we say, episode? Yeah, it was twisty, although that's not what endeared it to me, really. I thought this was a fantastic episode, but I think specifically not for the, you know, we do have, again, a, a kicker at the end, which, honestly, it was a shock. I mean, it, I yeah. my jaw was agape at the end, but what I'll really remember from the episode were the character moments, uh, specifically Saul and his wife and their really painful separation. I mean, that that all got to me. Uh, especially just little things like the way she's she's been saying she's going to leave for episodes for you know for hours of the show and there's never a sense that she's not going to leave as much as Saul would like her to stay like they they, they really they don't renege on that or you know make it seem like maybe she'll stay just so it's more painful when she doesn't know it's more painful when you just know she's going to leave and she does and a, a little thing the fact that she leaves early in the morning and you get that that you know you get that sense of a you know a crisp early morning when he rushes home and she's leaving. I don't know something about the time of day that it's happening and the fact that you know you know they're all on no sleep and it's just an awful moment for everyone. Uh, that was really well executed. I love the scenes between Carrie and Brody, and also between Carrie and Saul. And I just I feel like you know all the relationships got got a little bit uh, deeper this week, and I think we were able to sympathize with just about everyone. 
Yeah, I particularly enjoyed that scene between Carrie and Saul because that was something that I had um, discussed earlier in previous podcasts when we were talking about Homeland, where Carrie has done so much to slap him in the face that I wanted to see there be more long-term consequences um, and that I, I felt like if there weren't, I was going to disengage from the relationship. But they managed to uh, have their cake and eat it too because this scene he that we get here, I think allows them, it shows the the depth of the relationship and shows Saul as understanding who that that is who she is. And that while it doesn't stop him from being hurt when she does, you know, basically act like a little bitch to him, um, that he still does care about her. So I thought that that was an excellent way to handle that. And something I didn't expect to, for them to be able to pull off, at least for me. So it was a very nice scene. Yeah, the, the because yeah, the, the, she really has been dicking around with, I mean, everybody for the entire <laughs> series run, and so yeah, it was great to get a sense of the, there's this sort of not quite father daughter but pretty close relationship. I liked mm -hmm. all, the, and, and I was also touched by the scenes with uh, with Walker and his wife. I mean, I thought this was just in, in general like there were so many beats that could have been saccharine or could have been could have felt forced or, you know had another show taken it on would have been not as deftly handled, but I really felt like, you know, it, it's those character moments that I'm going to remember. That being said, the, uh, the kicker was something, wasn't it? Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure we all expected Walker in that house. At least I know I did, but I no, did. silly me, silly me. It was Brody who, and, and then the fact that they're, the fact that not only is is Brody there, which means that, you know, he's, he successfully pulled the rug under, out from under us last week, but it also means that they, that they were lying to him as well. And this is getting awfully complicated, but in an exciting way. Yeah, it's getting complicated, but there, but it still works. And I, well done again, Homeland pulling it off because <laughs> pulling it off because the, <laughs> Because, yeah, just being able to sell first that maybe it's Brody is uh, has been turned to, oh, crap, he hasn't been turned to, oh, my God, he has. I thought they did <laughs> such a great job. And, and you know, and and like I was saying we, when we discussed The weekend, um, that I felt like I felt like they were telling the truth. But then I also didn't. You, you thought know, maybe they were lying, and you, maybe that and they you were, were lying. frustrated that you couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah, and and then we see that of course he was lying, and uh, or or I think he technically was telling the truth because she didn't ask the right question, but he, basically that he was lying, and he has been in continued contact with Abu Nazir, and man, and it, it's so smart to have them because some people theorize, well, since Walker is alive, maybe they've both been turned, but that didn't feel very true. And they managed to do that by having that, having had Brody beat the crap out of Walker is probably the moment that allowed them to turn each of them into being, uh, uh, double agents or terrorists or something. So for the one it's look what your, your best friend does to you and the other ones look what you, you are willing to do or something like that so i thought that was very smart and i'm really looking forward to where it's going yeah i, th I think once again i think that they're just they're just in control the only moment of the episode that felt false to me was uh early on in one of the sort of like debriefing scenes uh, i don't know if you noticed this but somebody handily summarizes the show for us yeah at the beginning i did <laughs> notice that <laughs> 
but th- they're pretty good at getting that out of the way, though. And like, you know, get get it done early in the episode. Don't be annoying about it. I think they're they're doing a a, a fairly good job. Not you know, restating the plot for us every week, but they did do it pretty blatantly this week. Yeah, I'm always far more forgiving of that when it happens at the very top. You know, I feel like it's... Because they don't really... They do it previously on Homeland, but they keep it pretty brief. And so I feel like that's just sort of an extension of the previously on Homeland, which doesn't mean that it's really okay, but I can understand, especially for a show in its first series, trying to get more viewers. You know, I can understand it. Um, we haven't talked really about uh, the Brody household. What did you think of that, as well as the the campaign party that we see them at? Oh, I I, I thought all that stuff was again pretty adorable. I mean, uh, we got a little bit more backer in this week, and just their their glee at being at the party and being received like people, uh, especially specifically important people, uh, <laughs> was was great. The kids being excited about it was great. Um, it was just nice to see them be married for a change mm-hmm. rather than, you know, be, I mean, I guess, you know, being at, being at each other's throat is a, is a natural part of being married as well. But, uh, <laughs> ah, uh, that's but, telling <laughs> for you. But Hey now, um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it was nice to see them be happy with each other. Uh, although it does, uh, th- that also mean we, meant we got no Mike this week. And I'm wondering if they're how they're going to sort of integrate him in the rest of the show, if they even do. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing he'll have to be back at some point, but I'm I'm also guessing that his role will, will be downplayed, which is natural, and it's nice that they're not forcing him into the situation. Yeah, and I did not miss him even a little bit. I don't want him back because I enjoyed the dynamic here so much more, and I thought we needed to get that scene that we get between Jessica and Brody of. Uh, of just an open and honest conversation. And it reminded me very strongly of the scene we got in the walking dead this week. It was very similar. And I thought in both cases, it was so well handled and yeah, it, it just so much of the times these series, these particularly um, hour long dramas that are very character based, like to, to spend lots of time on not talking about things or making these very melodramatic Converse, angst-ridden conversations, and I liked the way that they handled it. it. Was just very honest when they finally talk about it. It's very honest and straightforward, and it really worked. And I'm glad yeah. it's out of the way. Yeah, the scene of her coming clean, I think, was sort of the highlight for me. Um, and also, yeah, just the I don't know. What did you think of the whole thing with with Saul and his wife? I, I mean, again, I thought I that thought was it was lovely handled. Yeah, it was very um, well handled. Okay. And I'm so glad she didn't change her mind. Yeah, that would have been awful. But yeah, I mean, poor Saul. I feel for the guy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think we're we're on the same page. Great show, great episode. They've mm-hmm. really yet to to put a, a serious foot wrong. Yeah. I, and it's nice. While all these other shows are are ending, we have just a, only a few series will be still on the air in a couple weeks, uh, at least with new episodes. So I'm glad that we still have. Uh, homeland going into december so yeah um now let's see a few show notes before we go to our dvd shelf of course uh our our dvd shelf up next is going to be veronica mars with dan one of our contributors to sound on site but you can send us uh emails to uh the televerse at gmail.com we're going to have of course a post up at sound.site.org for this podcast go ahead and leave us comments it'd be great to hear from some new people of course we always love hearing from our regular uh, commenters so please 
let us know what you think of, about this weekend. You know, if, if you disagree with any of our takes or, or if there's a show that we should check out, particularly as we get into Rerun Central in December, let us know. Um, and then let's see, I'm on Twitter at The Televerse. You are? I am on Twitter as at Sucker Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L. And then, of course, I think our goal for this week should be if we can get another iTunes review. I think. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that would be great. So if there's somebody out there who's not quite sure, who's been like hanging in the fence, maybe I'll review them on iTunes. This is the week. So that, yep. that would be Do delightful. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break, listen to a clip and some music, and we'll come back with our segment on Veronica Mars. I'm never getting married. You want an absolute? Well, there it is. Veronica Mars, spinster. I mean, what's the point? Sure, there's the initial primal drive. Ride it out. Better yet, ignore it. Sooner or later, the people you love let you down. And here's where it ends up. Sleazy men, cocktail waitresses, cheap motels on the wrong side of town, and a soon-to-be ex-spouse wanting a bigger piece of the settlement pie. That's where I come in. $40 an hour is cheap compared to the long-term financial security sordid photography can secure for you. Your offspring, your next lover. But do us a favor if it's you in there. Dispense with the cuddling. This motel tryst, it is what it is. Make it quick. The person sitting in the car across the street might have a calculus exam in five. Make that four hours, and she can't leave until she gets the money shot. The Televerse. I'm Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. Howdy. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are excited to welcome Dan Heaton, one of our contributors to Sound on Sight. Now, Dan, you are, of course, reviewing Chuck for us. Yes, um, reviewing Chuck's final season right now on Friday nights. It's good times, and we're so glad to have you as part of the team. Now, we talked to you about coming on the DVD shelf, and one of the, the, the early shows to come up in the conversation was Veronica Mars. What is it that you love about this show so much? Well, I think it has a really good combination. It's um, kind of, in one sense, a teen high school drama, but then it combines that with almost like a film noir detective story, and it like has a murder mystery, and then also just some really kind of quirky, eccentric characters, and it somehow combines them all into what is a much better show than you would expect from hearing that description. It's just, it's a really fun show, but also has some darkness to it, too, and it meshes that really well. Yeah, for me, it was a show that I avoided for the longest time for the simple and foolish reason that it was on UPN for its first season. So I kept hearing these great things, and I was like, it can't be good, it's on UPN. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was so glad when I finally did give it a shot, because it's exactly that. It, it's film noir in set in a high school. For some you know, film fans, it's, they might consider it similar to Brick, which is, of course, a Ryan Johnson film from a few years back that... As a film noir fan, I, I just love it. I think it's great. But 
I think that film noir is particularly well suited as well. I mean, as much as I do love film noir films, I think it's very well suited for the high school format or the television format, just because it's it's such a common um, characteristic of noir, right? That the the protagonist keeps getting you know keeps getting hit down and struggling and all that. And I think it's really well suited to to the format. So yeah, as soon as I I, I popped in the uh, well I didn't pop in the DVDs as soon as I checked it out on TV I was very glad to have done so because I think it's just such a natural fit Simon what was your relationship with uh, Veronica Mars I think by the time season two came around I was watching it live I caught up on season one after hearing it was great and then season two premiered and I was watching it week to week so I, I think that probably colors my opinion of the show uh, somewhat because I know that no one can agree on on which seasons are, are best. Um, I think um, what's I think I, I, mean, I think we might, but okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. But anyway, or specifically which season is best. But anyway, um, I th- I think what's really interesting to me about Veronica Mars is sort of what you were hinting at, Dan. It's it's a very sweet show in some respects. It's got a lot of quirky characters. It's often bright and, and colorful, and and certainly the setting is is very vivid. But it's also one of the darkest shows maybe ever <laughs> it's 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 a very and and not not necessarily in like the body count although there's that too there's just the sense that you know veronica mars is played by Kristen bell you know is is such a you know a basically decent person although flawed and she's just constantly discovering that the world and the people in it are disappointments with the usual, with the general exception of uh, Enrico Colantoni, who plays her father. And I think that's the aspect of the show that I often just found the ballsiest. Yeah, it's interesting because in one sense, it has the really good relationship between um, Veronica and her dad. And then also with a few of her friends like Wallace and some of her other friends. But then some of, you know, the mysteries, both the first and second season and even in the third where you think they're not going to go there and then they go beyond where you think they're going to go. And then into some other area entirely where, and then they keep going back and kind of some situations that you don't think are as bad were actually worse. And I think that's really interesting. Well, talking about a dark show. I mean, this is a show whose pilot and, By the way, if you're listening and you haven't seen Veronica Mars, watch Veronica Mars. And when you watch the pilot, watch the extended cut, which is on the DVD. But this is a show that in its pilot has its main character. uh, You find out that she has her best friend has been murdered and she was raped and her father lost his job over the best friend case. And then her mom ran out on them. This is a incredibly dark show for a, you know, an air quote teen drama. Definitely. Yeah, and I think, and I think that's what enables it to connect so forcefully to this idea. I mean, noir. The whole point of, uh, you know, think think of a movie like In a Lonely Place. You know, the whole atmosphere and, and and the purpose of that film is to depict a universe gone wrong. And I think and that connects nicely to Neptune, which is a you know a town wherein class divisions are bitter and run deep. And which is which is another thing that's great about the show is that it depicts class differences in a very explicit way that's unusual not just for a teen drama and not just for a serial drama but for any show period. Yeah, in the pilot, even she describes and says, "Oh, there's no middle class. It's basically all really rich people and then the people that work for them," and and it's all a very pretty setting, and yet beneath it, it's 
with the rich and you know the the less rich people it's there's so much going on beyond it and she just digs away at it as the seasons go on well and it's also one of the few shows on even now but particularly at the time to have as diverse of a cast as it does and to look at racial issues and and not the class structure as well but also you know it's a much more complete picture than you're seeing on probably anything uh that was on on the on the main networks at the time that it was on which was in you know the early 2000s 2004 2005 2006 yeah and definitely and you even see it with some of the characters where they seem to be kind of caricatures like there's weevil who's like the the biker guy and um and logan who's the rich kid but as the show goes on they kind of keep flipping things around where you kind of learn i see such a jerk or something like that and it does no one really falls into a certain box with a few exceptions i think it's worth uh sort of explaining some things to people who haven't seen the show before um i mean as i previously mentioned Kristen bell plays the protagonist who is the uh daughter of the former sheriff of Neptune, as you said, uh, Kate Disgraced. And just in terms of the general shape of the show, I want to get into this without spoiling stuff because I do feel like this is a show that could use more new viewers, although it's obviously not around anymore. Um, The first two seasons, each season, you know, each episode contains a smaller mystery, but each season also has an overarching mystery. I'm not going to... Maybe maybe we shouldn't say what those are exactly. But then in the third season, they had a change up wherein there, there were multiple smaller mysteries that, you know, sort of divided the season, which, you know, was maybe not necessarily a move that was greeted with glee by everyone. Yeah, the, the trouble with the season structure of Veronica Mars, at least for me, is that the first season, which I I feel we can say without it being too much of a, I don't think this gives anything away. The first season deals strongly with the murder of Lily Kane, who is Veronica's best friend. Um, that's that overall arc is so incredibly personal and intense to to not just Veronica but all of the main characters in the series. That when you when you go to anything else, I mean, it's a bit like the Twin Peaks uh, situation. Though I would say the the drop off is not nearly as. Um, as, no, as, yeah. As, yeah, as wide, have... but it's still that same uh, problem where they're, they're just not going to top who killed Lily Kane in the second season. So while I think the second season is very strong, it's just not as personal of a story. And so I, while I do like the overall season long arc, it's not quite as successful as the first season, if you know, in my opinion. And then in the third season, that's when the show moved over to the CW, and it was a question mark of if it was going to be renewed or not. Um, but they decided because it was on the bubble. But they decided to. Um, but part of that was that they wanted to be able to have new viewers come in because this is a highly serialized show at least in the overall season. There are, is the individual mystery each episode, but overall it is a pretty serialized show. And so they're trying to, to work with that and come up with other ways around it. And I would say, at least for me, that the, the, the three mini mysteries is, is less expe- successful um, as, lo- as well as the, the change to college, which, you know, I think they could have handled worse, but they do, they do, you know, yeah, I think the, um, the third season, the college thing, which I know Buffy also struggled with a bit at first, is that it seemed like high school is so made for this with all the kind of eccentric characters. And they went to college and some of the new cast members at the time weren't so great. And I think they spent yeah. so much time with them and some of the other cast that we'll probably get to a little later 
who are so likable kind of get pushed away. And it's just, it's still Veronica Mars, but, and I understand why they did it, but it, it's all over the map. I feel like it can be very good, but it's not consistent like the first season, especially. Mm-hmm. Where do you guys fall down on season one versus season two? Because I was, I, I just assumed that everybody liked season one much better than season two. So I, I was kind of surprised by your comment, uh, Simon. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I think personally, I kind of like them the same, which is not to say I, I, I don't necessarily like them in the same way. I think what I appreciate about season two is that they were, as you said, Kate, in a really difficult position which admittedly, you know, they, they put themselves there. And I think that the mystery that they come up with in season two is is quite sprawling and ambitious. And I think that it's it's mostly pulled off with panache. So I, I kind of want to put them on. I mean, I haven't watched the two seasons close enough, recently enough, to make a direct comparison. But in my mind, they're of pretty similar stature. I think it's mostly just the third season that's a significant step down. Yeah, I... um. I would go with Kate on this one. I I think the second season, I agree, Simon, I was going to use the word ambitious too. The second season, they basically, there are more storylines and it's more complicated. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but like, like Kate said earlier, the first season with the connection to Lily, especially for Veronica and Logan and, and Duncan, we haven't mentioned yet, and some of the other people, it's so strong. And, that, and the way that was plotted, you see this with other shows too, where the first season is so well plotted where they're no matter what they do and the second season is a great attempt. It's never going to match up with how it started, at least from my opinion, the first time through. And then, but the second season is still much better than the third season for sure. I think it is worth mentioning though, that the third season does have some highlights. And in particular, I recall that the last couple episodes being quite strong. Yeah, I agree. I would agree. And I also think it ends very well. I know there are a lot of people of Veronica Mars fans who do not like the, the, sort of question mark that some feel the ending has, but I feel like that's a perfect noir ending and I think a great ending for the series. As much as I would have loved to see the season four flash forward several years, Veronica works at the FBI um, idea that they pitched and you can see uh, if you, on the third season DVDs, they have um, the clip that they used to pitch that and it would just made me hungry to see more. But um, I do think, I think it's a great, as particularly final shot. What do you guys think about the finale? I think the finale is like, like you said, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not necessarily fulfilling in like the classical TV sense, but I think you're right in terms of its apropos to the genre. I think it's apropos in, in ways that, you know, are not necessarily familiar to viewers of teen drama. Yeah, I agree. And I just the the shot of her just walking out into the storm, basically, and you don't know, like her dad, what's going to happen with the election and a lot of other without to get into too much spoilers, a lot of the other parts. But from what I remember, that episode wasn't like a big like the first and second season finales were big serial endings, but it was kind of nice to just have a one off story sort of at the end and just say, okay, she's going to keep doing what she does. So I, I do like the ending a lot. And maybe that's a good way to start talking about Kristen Bell um, because she's so great, so great on the show. And I, I think she's one of those actresses that faces that conundrum where, you know, she's young and perky and blonde and and it's, you know, it's not necessarily easy to find roles as, you know, an intelligent, self-possessed human being when you, when you look like that. And I, I think that casting her was a huge coup for them. Well, I don't know. I feel like I have to 
not just put that on casting directors. She's made some pretty terrible movies. I want to support her film career because I do think she's an amazing actress. She demonstrates that in Veronica Mars time and time again. But when in Rome, really? <laughs> yeah, uh... it's disappointing to see her film career because after Veronica Mars, she was on Heroes and that was okay. And then a lot of the movies, like she was on Couples Retreat yeah. and that was... That I didn't see it, but that did not look good. And I, it's been disappointing because I was kind of excited to see what she would do after this because I she's mean, her, so good in this role. Her film career was so bad that in the one good movie she was in, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, she took the opportunity to make fun of another movie she was in. Like, I did, which is, say, Pulse. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I, I didn't see the other movie she was making fun of because it didn't look good. Yeah, yeah, no, it was Pulse. Uh, but yes, and I, I, we, I think also mentioned should be made. I know that you feel very strongly about this, Kate. Enrico Colantoni, who plays Keith, her father, the ex sheriff, uh, is also great. But I think especially in concert, they're mm -hmm. just they're so fantastic. They're the they're the almost constant source of warmth that the show really needs, especially because it's so often quite you know, quite even on the edge of depressing, but certainly dark. Well, yeah. I mean, and to give away my upcoming Father's Day list, uh, she's up there with, with um, she, she, I think this is, uh, it's in strong contention with one other relationship, but this is pretty much the best father-daughter relationship in the history of television, as far as I'm concerned. It's amazing to watch them together. They have fantastic chemistry. They both work individually, but when you see them together, they just, uh, it it just makes sense, and I, I watch. I think Enrico Colantoni. I do think this is probably his best role, though I do love him in Galaxy Quest, very very much. But I don't know. I just think he he's very strong here. And to go back to to uh, Kristen Bell briefly, I do feel like everybody who hasn't seen Veronica Mars and keeps seeing her in these like posters for these terrible movies. I feel like they all must be wondering how she gets cast in these things. And the answer is because she's actually really good, even though you wouldn't necessarily know it. But but yeah, sorry, to get back to the to the point you were just saying, uh, Simon, I, I do have very strong feelings about this. I love their relationship. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, and you can I agree totally. You can see it even in the pilot, which I just watched, like right from the start. Like you see a lot of shows where it kind of takes them a little while. These two, I don't know. I mean, they just have it right away. You feel like you never think is, oh, that's two actors playing the father and daughter. It's right away. It's like, that's Veronica. That's her dad. And he's his character is great, too, not just as her dad. Like he's he does a lot of stuff. And I think that's good, too, because it's not like he just shows up to, to talk to her like a dad. They just they're almost equals on the show. That's one of my favorite parts of the show. Another thing that's sort of I, I think that is sort of divisive among fans of the show is sort of the romance angle because you do have you have multiple characters who are sort of vying for Veronica's hand in one way or another. I think the problem for me, although there is some realism to this, I guess uh, with, with this angle of the show was always that besides Wallace and we're going to get to, to Wallace there, it just never really felt like any of these guys were good enough. Well, I wanted to ask what you guys think of the Duncan character because he's, he's, I, I'll just leave it open to you guys about because I feel like that part of the show kind of struggles a bit. But well, I, I, he just comes across as a wet blanket throughout. I think mm -hmm. I don't think he's given a particularly 
easy or fun role to play, particularly with how disconnected Duncan is meant to be uh, for, for a lot of the, particularly the first season. I do remember feeling for, for a while watching the first season, how, why did they cast this guy? (laughs) But, but then they got, we got to the end of season, the first season, and he finally gets to show some emotion and then I get it. And you know, that I'm not going to explain the context, but that, that scene that I'm sure you guys will know what I'm referencing with with him and Veronica at at their at his house at the front door. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, definitely. I thought it was I, I I finally got why they had cast him and that that he actually can be good when he's not supposed to be playing a zombie. And it's a bit of the uh, the same problem that they ran into with Dollhouse, I think. But that's a discussion for another time. It's hard to play, you know, detached. So, especially for such an extended period of time, I, I do think that they they really lucked out with Jason Doring, who plays um, who plays Logan, and there because I don't think that is at all where they were intending to go with that character. But he just had such great chemistry with Kristen Bell, and they they worked so well together that they, I feel like his role was increased. It seemed to me, at least watching the early episodes and i don't have any actual basis for this other than just watching it and having an opinion but it seems like he was intended as more of what eventually became the dick casablanca's character um yeah, yeah i can see that but but i think he's great and i think he you know I, they got l- lucky with him and as listeners of the televerse will know i enjoyed him so much in veronica mars i was sticking with ringer waiting for him to show up and, <laughs> and that's saying a lot <laughs> Though it did finally, the ringer's terribleness did uh, manage to overwhelm my desire to see him on another series. But, um, but yeah, because I know Simon, you're not a big fan of some of the relationship stuff on this series. But I, I, I think it really works. Well, I, I think that it just never resonates to me as much as the father-daughter relationship, or even just her relationship with Wallace, who plays her, uh, played by Percy Daggs the third, um, and who is her essentially her best pal on the show. Uh, I, I just felt like none that that was always the more interesting aspect. Well, that and her sort of tortured relationship with her buddies from the past. Yeah, I can see that. I also think, along with Wallace, that her her relationship with with Mac, who um, is her other friend, who ends up helping yeah, yeah, her yeah. a lot. Tina Majorino. Like, yeah, with her, with Mac and Wallace and and Veronica, those they kind of become this trio. Who, especially as the the season goes along. That that's kind of what I miss in the third season is that you never really get that. But I do like the Logan relationship, and I agree, Kate, that in the beginning he comes off kind of just like a, a jerk. And if they plan to make him go that way, then they really did a good job because it seems like they his character really shifts about midway through the first season. But for good reason, because I think it worked out for him. And it's, quite, it's played quite naturally as well, which I think is both to the credit of the writing and to Doring. Yeah, he's a surprise. At the beginning, you wonder if, if it's going to work out, but he really turns it up. Well, yeah, it feels like a really one-note performance, and then it's not. Um, and I think that's to Doring's credit. Um, let's talk about some of these other... other. Well, I guess before we talk about some of the more minor characters, let's spend some time talking about Weevil, Francis Capra. Yes, I, I think there's there's another example of a character who starts off seeming maybe like they're going to be one note or two note. And then sort of gradually you get you, I think it's another good example of a character that gets fleshed out nicely. 
and and obviously he's great francis capper that is yeah early on he's kind of i mean he's doesn't change completely but he's you know just kind of a little bit of a jerk and just like i said earlier when i was talking about caricatures you start to wonder oh they're going to make him this guy but as he's that's not really true so i think i don't know i guess it's just kind of even with with dick if we go to that who's yes kind of a doofus but is hilarious and one of my favorite characters but he hangs around for a long time and somehow that works too and a character like that would usually kind of raise my anger after a while but never does i think a a lesser show would have really idealized weevil you know really said oh he seems like a bad boy but really he's just got a heart of gold which is slightly true until you know those times when it isn't (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'd love that line we get from veronica early on um i believe it's like the second or third episode where she says the trouble with befriending the head of the local local uh, local biker gang is that he's still the head of the local biker gang and so yeah. i also want to mention particularly with him i i love his dynamic with sheriff lamb and also with Logan, I think uh, Francis Capra and Jason Doring have, have great chemistry together. And I also think the series was very wise to not overdo those situations with the two of them. Every now and again, they're thrown together. Um, but for the most part, it, I think it would be easy to, to always want to have those two characters together because they do work so well together. But I, I think it's smart for them to not over overplay it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And th- there's the part in the second season where those two actually kind of team up and um, start yeah. to investigate what's going on. And it's kind of, it's a lot, it's funny because early on, like we said, you never would have thought that those two would, would do it, but the actors are so good. And they, like you said, they don't overplay it and be like, well, you're so different than me or anything. It's really underplayed, <laughs> which is why yeah. it works, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, it's so great when they team up, but the writers are smart or, the, or Rob Thomas, the creator, uh, not that Rob Thomas are, <laughs> are is smart enough to, to not keep teaming them up because it wouldn't make sense for the characters, even though it would be fun to watch. Let's talk about some of these other characters. Cause there, I mean, there's really a plethora of interesting bit re- recurring characters from, I mean, I already len- mentioned, uh, Sheriff Lamb, Don Lamb, who is, I think just hilarious, but also dark, but also, you know, he's not just a one-dimensional character. And then, then of course, there's the the parents of the the other friends. And having gone back and watched some Homicide Life on the Street, yes, uh, it was nice to see Kyle Seeker here. Yeah, when I, I knew him from Veronica Mars before, I had seen any Homicide really, so that was fun. Um, and that, and of course, there's you know, in you have Harry Hamlin, you ha- who I think is just just gnawing the scenery, but in the best possible way. And then of course, uh, uh, Steve Gutenberg shows up and then you even have these, these tiny guest stars, like, like uh, Paul Rudd or Adam Scott. You have a lot of really fun, just bit appearances. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. of course, yeah. Vinnie Van Lowe. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. Yeah. For, for anyone, good. for anyone, I can't imagine there's too many of you, but for anyone who's a party down fan who hasn't seen Veronica Mars, you sort of see that whole cast slowly assemble over the course of these three seasons. Yeah, and Kristen Bell's actually on Party Down also, too, like yep. in, as um, Adam Scott's girlfriend. So, um, and that's Rob Thomas's show, too, obviously. 
Um, but yeah, and also um, Ed Begley Jr. shows up at one mm-hmm. point, which is in the third season, unfortunately. But um, there's <laughs> there's so many like small parts, like even um, we have Charisma Carpenter and um, mm-hmm. some of the other Buffy characters like who show up. Allison Hannigan. Yes. And um, and Joss Whedon, of course. And Kevin Smith. We have some cameos. We unfortunately do have to wrap this up shortly. Um, I guess the, the the last point I wanted to make is that I miss having PI shows around. I miss having shows like this around that really put an emphasis on world building and, you know, have these world weary characters and this sort of all these moral gray areas. I would say the closest thing we've gotten recently was Terriers, which did not have the benefit of getting like 64 episodes. It only got 13. So it didn't really get to build a world in the same way. So I think if you, again, if, if you happen to catch Terriers but didn't see this, which I can't imagine there's that many of you, uh, do absolutely check this out. But check it out anyway if you're a fan of good, deep, dark, but fun and quirky television. I know it's it's uh, some of these episodes, there's so much serialization, it's kind of hard to separate out uh, particular favorites. But are there any standouts for, for either of you? Um, Simon? I, I actually, again, I'm rewarding ambition. And I think the, the, the finales of the first two seasons both pull some pretty amazing stuff out of their hats. And especially when you look at how many other serialized shows just totally whiff it and, and, and you know, in their final acts. I think Rob Thomas and company deserve credit. And, and you know, and, and the season, season three does this as well, although, you know, in a different way. So really, th- those episodes are always what stood out to me. Uh, Dan? Yeah, I'm going to sort of agree with Simon and just say the standouts to me, along with just the pilot, which sets things up really well, are the final two episodes of the first season. Because I feel like you get to the second last episode and you think there is so much material that they have to cover and don't even realize the, all the twists that are going to happen. And by the time you get to the end of the first season, I mean, it's it's done so well and it's just surprising. And um there's so many good one-off episodes that there's just too many to mention, but the way that they finish is um, is great. One of the best we've we've seen on any show, at least as far as ending a very long serial arc. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely delivers on what it promises because that's always a fair. It, that's one of the actually the other things we haven't said about the first season. It makes it works very very well as a mystery show. Yes, it's very effective in that. I would also single out the pilot. I think it has an excellent pilot. It does very well at establishing its world and getting to know the characters and manages to do voiceover, but without it being annoying, which is very difficult. Yeah, really, really hard to do on TV, especially. Um, The other two, besides, of course, the finales and A Trip to the Dentist, which is a sort of Rashomon-inspired, the second-to-last episode of the first season, which you mentioned, Dan, Um, I would say two that stick out for me are Mars vs. Mars, which is the one that has um, Adam Scott as a teacher uh, who is accused of uh, being involved with a student, and Keith is on one side and Veronica's on the other, and that's a fun one, and then Silence of the Lamb, which... Uh, is very much focused on Mac and her family and then one of the other characters, uh, one of the O-Niners, uh, Madison Sinclair. And I think that's a, a nice uh, opportunity for uh, for Tina Majorina to, to really uh, deliver and shine and get some, some screen time. So, oh, and we haven't talked about Beaver at all, um, but we're out of time. Kyle and Palmer, yeah, well, well he's we'll really good. He's great, yeah. Yeah, I did want to mention one thing before we stop. I know I'm dragging this out. Is the theme song by the Dandy Warhols, which I think fits the show so well, especially the first two seasons before they make it slower for the third season. 
And yeah, I just what was think, up with that? They tried to like fit with, I guess it's a different show on the CW. New network, new sh new theme song. By mm -hmm. new, you mean crappy. <laughs> it was awful. And I just think that that show, it's like, there's some shows in Firefly, like you guys, is another one like that from your last one, that the theme song immediately just fits with the show. And I think this is one of those examples. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Dandy Warhols fan, but I have to say it is, it is the ideal theme song for this show. Totally. There's also a lot of really great visual flair and, 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 and stylistic choices from, from color to timing and um, the filters that they're using, as well as angles. And, of course, Amanda Seyfried, who is now hugely famous from Mamma Mia and these other movies and things, uh, is Lily Kane in this. There's lots of flashback sequences, which they managed to balance well, I would say. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good series. Any final thoughts, Simon? Buy it. Watch it. Do those things. Dan? Yeah, um, it's a great show for DVD because you, without having to wait a week, you can really get into the mystery and remember everything. And, uh, yeah, I was just what they said. Yay. <laughs> there's a reason all right. we we all uh, – there's a reason we decided to cover the show. So um, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Now, Dan, of course, our, our readers can find you – our listeners, that is, can find you on Sound On Site doing Chuck reviews. But where else can they find you? Well, I have my blog. It's called um, Public Transportation Snob, and it's um, Public Transportation Snob at um, blog.blogspot.com. And also, I'm on Twitter, and right now it's uh, Heaton DWH, which is not original, but um, I'm also out there a lot too. And then on Sound on Site, of course. Yay. Good times. So, thank you. Of course, thank you for coming on uh, again, Dan. It was a lot of fun. No problem. And thank you for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Operation, don't go over an hour and a half. Go. Engage. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah, that was me pointing, not a thumbs up, but I... Too close to the... Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Sorry, you don't watch TNG, so you don't know. It's all good. Okay. And, uh... One of these days it'll come up, and then uh, you'll get my Star Trek references. Okay. <laughs>